Um, hi everyone. Um, it's been a bit long <laughs> since we recorded a podcast. I'm sure you missed our voices, um, but we're back. We're back. Yes. Uh, welcome back. <laughs> um, so today's episode is going to be a little bit different than our previous episodes. Um, so Amal and I decided that we wanted to um, use this platform to bring awareness to more important issues and have these discussions and keep the conversation going. And so we decided to start um, a mini series. Um, so today we're let's talk about the Palestinian genocide. Um, so just to preface, as a disclaimer, um, Amal and I, we are not experts on the subject. We um, just gathered um, information on our own and we did research and readings. Um, and we wanted to share what we've learned about the subject with you all to keep the conversation going. So we are not by any means experts on the subject. So just keep that in mind while uh, you listen to this episode. Um, and we encourage everyone to let us know if maybe we said something that was slightly incorrect because every in this situation we just want everyone to learn and we ourselves are still learning. So um, thank you for tuning in on today's episode and let's get started. So we wanted to start out by basically giving some context on the anti-Semitism that was going on in Europe and Russia. Um, where the Jews were being persecuted and facing like were being expelled and facing a lot of difficulties in these regions and they felt like their only option was to migrate out of these out of these um these regions where they were being persecuted um and one of the the main region where they used to migrate to was palestine um um so around this time this is when the idea of um zionism was brought up by theodore herzl where they were they always felt like they never they never they were never equal citizens in the countries that they belonged to and they were always persecuted and faced so much difficulty and their only option was to create a homeland that was just for the jewish people so that's what the idea of zionism is and it was um and it was it was basically the promotion of establishing a jewish nation and a sovereign state with self-sufficient communities um, and so that was some of what, what that was something that was set up in Palestine, where they had agriculture, agricultural settlements and um, communities that were self-sufficient. They didn't used to depend on the country that they resided in. They were able to, they had their own institutions and they were able to survive themselves. So over time, there were mass migrations of the Jews into the Palestine into the Palestinian region. Um, there were five main. Um, migrations, which are called alias, um, and the first one was in 1992 and to 1903. Um, so around this time, around, around the beginning of the Palestine, about the, of the Jews migrating into Palestine, um, Palestine was part of the Jewish, was part of the Ottoman territory. The Ottoman Empire was an was a Muslim empire that lasted many years, but um, the fall of the um, of the empire was a result of losing the world war world war one um and because of this loss their territory was divided um divided and palestine was given to britain as a mandate system so what a mandate system essentially is is that 
the British had control over the diplomatic and the financial affairs of the country, but all the local and internal affairs were governed by the Palestinians and local com communities. Um, but the mandate system still had the power to override any of the parliamental um, decisions and um, they were they had the power to like interfere with the decisions made by the locals um and one of the one of the really important things that happened during this mandate system was the balfour declaration in november 1917 where the british basically acknowledged palestine as the jewish national home um so it was this declaration was very controversial in Palestine because so one of the things that we did in my I did an Islamic studies class over the year um and over the last semester and we we did a reading by this poet this Palestinian poet called Jawari and he the he described the amount of like excitement and happiness that the Palestinians were feeling when they when they became part of the British mandate system um, there was parties, there were celebrations, there was fireworks and music and everybody was so happy. Um, and then you could like literally hear, like you could feel a change in the, like the voice because it was written in the form of a diary. You could, you could hear the, the, the change in tone of after the Balfour Declaration came out and how they felt so betrayed because this was their homeland and their where they'd lived for centuries, their families had lived, that was just being given to the Jews as their national home. Um, so, as I mentioned before, the Jews had established these self-sufficient communities. Um, they had their own institutions, their own hospitals, their own schools, their own agriculture. Um, and one of the main things is that the Jews cooperated with the British. They and they were involved in the establishment of the local committees that used to deal with the local affairs, while the Arabs used to boycott it as a way of protesting the British actions. Um, and so, and again, in our in our Islamic studies class, we we looked at it, we watched a documentary, and I hundred percent recommend everybody watch this documentary. It's so good. It's called Five Broken Cameras, and it's filmed by. Uh, by a man in a Palestinian village. And he basically explains, you can like see it. He like shows what the what the um, Jewish settlements were like. Um, so essentially Jews had financial incentives to settle in these settlements. They were given tax reliefs and cash, like they were literally paid to come and live in these settlements. And, um, and it was a way for, when more people are coming to live there, then of course they're going to expand the settlements and take more land from the Palestinian villages that surrounded these settlements. And the in the documentary, they focus on one specific um, village that's called Bilin, um, and Bilin essentially became a symbol of protest. And it's so powerful to see because every Friday after going to the mosque, they would go and they would protest against peaceful protests. They would just go and like talk about the love for their country and sing songs and um and carry flags and it was such like the you you could see the love that they had for their country and then at the same time you can see the tactics that the is um that the Jews used to use to take more land like for example they used to put trailers on the land or build or build 
um, concrete settlements because concrete settlements underneath like against the like it's against the law to break down a concrete settlement so once that one is set up in like your land you just have to accept that it's there so um, 100% would recommend people to watch that documentary it's really good because it shows you like it you can see what it was like in this time um, so as you can see, there's a lot of conflict between the Palestinians who already lived in this land and the Jews that had just migrated from like in mass numbers into this land. Um, and one of the main regions and one of the main areas where there was a lot of tension was in the western wall of the Dome of the Rock. So the western wall of the Dome of the Rock is a very religiously important area for Muslims for Jews, it's also, I'm pretty, I think it's also very important for Christians as well. I know that Jerusalem has a lot of religious significance. Um, and because of all of this tension that was there at the time, there was limited access for the Jews to come into this area. Um, so in 1929, the Jews began trying to push this border, of, like to push the boundaries and allow try to get more access to the wall. And this led to a very big conflict where 100 Jews died and 100 Arabs died. Um, so at the end of the day, the Arabs felt like, like the reason for all of their difficulties was because of the British. The British mandate system came in and gave away their land and allowed all these mass migrations. And now, so the Arabs had felt a lot of anger towards the British and it, this led to the Arab revolt which took place for three years. It, it was a lot shorter in the main city, but it took lasted for at least three years in the rural areas. And it was a horrible time because it was it actually took place during the Great Depression, which was already economically difficult for a lot of people. Now imagine going through a conflict at the same time. So the British were selling the land of the of the Palestinians to the Jews and Palestinians were left completely landless. They didn't have enough to sustain their families. Um, and people were dying and people were saving, facing like incredible losses. Um, and so essentially the Arabs were trying to overthrow the British occupation and the British had employed the Jews to like fight for them. So it was essentially just the Jews and the Arabs fighting against each other. Um, so around this time, the British realized that maintaining this mandate system was like it was so costly for them so they decided to draft a withdrawal proposal called the british white paper of 1939 the peel commission plan where they essentially had um a, a, an arab state and a jewish state and jerusalem was left neutral but neither side was happy um because the jews felt like they didn't have enough land and the arabs said this is our land why are we giving it away and the jews were still migrating into the country although it was really important for the jews to migrate because this was occurring at the same time as the holocaust so they needed so like jewish migration was so important at this time because they were like fleeing from the terrible things that were happening in germany and poland and yeah um, so because neither side was happy, the British decided to give over the issue to the UN um, and the UN created again a partition plan where they divided the settlement, they divided the area again into Jewish, a Jewish state and Arab state and where again Jerusalem remained neutral. Um, but again, neither side was happy and this led to a really, this led to an outbreak of a civil war in 1948. Um, and it was a devastating war. And in the end of it, the Palestinians lost the war. And this is uh, this time is a period of time known as Nakba, which is which means disaster. 
because um, this is the time after losing the war, this is the time when Israel was declared a nation state and the Palestinians were forced to flee their homes. So in 1948, 720,000 people were displaced. And if they were not, if they didn't leave their homes, they were targeted and massacred. And there was an influx of refugees into neighboring countries like Jordan and Lebanon. Um, so it was a devastating time for the Palestinians because they were forced to leave their homes and they were massacred. And um, and a lot of like, till today, this time, this period of Nakba is commemorated or, um, in these regions. Um, so since then, since 19, 48, when Israel was declared a nation state, there have been a lot of recent conflicts um, and conflicts and tension. Um, for example, in 1967, there was a six day, six day war when, um, when Israel occupied Gaza and the West Bank. And since 1967 till even 2018, there was protests at the um, protests about the Gaza border. So the tension in this region has just been building and building and it's, um, and it's it's been devastating for everybody who lives there and has to face this on a daily basis. So if we fast forward to uh, our current year, 2021, um, there has been a recent um, uproar of uh, tension between Israel and Palestine. Um, the media does sometimes call uh, refer to it as a conflict, but we will later go on and um, to discuss that perhaps this might not be the best word to describe what's happening. So essentially what has happened, um, there was a crisis um, that was triggered um, on the 6th of May, uh, 2021, when Palestinians began to protest um, in the East Jerusalem uh, region um, over an antici the anticipated decision of the, uh, so essentially the Supreme Court of Israel um, was planning to evict six Palestinian families in a neighborhood called Shejara. And this was um, not the only neighborhood where this was probably going to be happening, but this was the primary neighborhood where this was uh, about to happen. So under international law, what Israel was essentially doing was, um, was uh, this region of Palestine was being annexed by Israel, uh, also known as an occupation. Um, so they were trying to occupy Palestinian territories here. Um, and so this, this was uh, something that we could say was one of the triggers of um, this uproar, um, and tension between Israel and Palestine. And then the following day on the 7th of May, 2021, there was um, a major uh, violent, uh, uh, sorry, outbreak of violence um, in the compound of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is a religious site for um, people who are, who are Muslim, um, the Muslims, <laughs> because it's a mosque. Um, so what had happened was um, pal uh, there, were, uh, there was um, an outbreak of viol violence between the Palesti Palestinians and Israeli police forces who stormed the compound and they used tear gas, um, rubber bullets um, and grenades. Um, it, so the, the violence was just going on within the compound. Um, and so this this is considered to be one of the other triggers um, of the upri uprising tension between um, Israel and Palestine. So um, the the violence itself continued from the sixth of May to the twenty first of May. So this was this 
lasted about two weeks. And in that, in those weeks, um, we can give you a little timeline. So after what had happened um, on the 6th of May and the 7th of May, um, on the 11th and 12th of May, there were several cities, um, Israeli cities and Gaza. Um, there was an Israeli airstrike which destroyed the Gaza city tower, which was said to um, be the uh, host of senior uh, Hamas officials. And the Hamas are the, um, the Palestinian militant group. Um, and so in other attacks, Israel killed about 10 senior Hamas military figures, along with dozens of civilians. Um, and in addition to airstrikes, there was Israeli artillery and tank fires at the Palestinian um, enclave from inside Israeli territory. Um, and in return, the uh, Palestinian militant group um, rained rockets uh, down Israeli cities, including Tel Aviv, um, Ashkelon, and Bir, Bir Sheba. And then through from May 13th to May 15th, um, uh, the Israelis and Hamas continued to trade fire um, all across the West Bank, um, the Gaza Strip, and there was some violence that leaked into the Lebanese and Syrian border. Um, and so Palestinian health officials then announced that Israeli forces had killed 11 protesters um, in that uh, uh, crossfire. Um, and then uh, from May 17th to May 18th, the violence expanded to Lebanon, where six rockets were are fired at, from Lebanon toward Israel, um, but fall short into the Israeli, uh, sorry, the Lebanese territory. Um, and Israeli responded, sorry, Israel responded by firing into southern Lebanon on, mon on that Monday night. So the violence is now into its second week and it, it's killed by now more than 200 people in Gaza, but only 12 in Israel and left many, many more injured. Um, so now the current status of the conflict is that it, it, it's at a ceasefire in which both territories has claimed victory, but, um, so, but this is after 11 days of fighting. Um, and it's important to note that as of uh, the 24th of May, is, um, Israel was still denying the transfer of food supplies, medical equipment from the UN and aid workers and journalists into the Gaza Strip, despite what had been said the day before after international uh, pressure was applied that um, Israel should be allowing all of these resources to pass through. Um, and then finally on May 25th, uh, they, uh, th this aid was permitted into, to enter the Strip. So tensions are still high. So even though there has been a ceasefire, the tensions between these two regions are still very high. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, um, there, um, as a result of all of the violence that occurred, there has been um, hundreds of deaths. There was widespread po property damage and mostly, but not exclusively on the Palestinian side. Um, which resulted in plenty of families and people with no electricity, no water, people lost their homes. Um, families were severely impacted by, impacted by this and several children were orphaned and caused a lot of sickness. So um, essentially that is the, you could say the Cliff Notes version of what had happened um, between Palestine and Israel. And as I'd mentioned before, um, the media or at least the mainstream media um, tends to cover this uh, um, what had happened as they, um, and they call it a conflict, which um, it, it, it's probably not the best word to use when describing such a situation because a conflict implies that both sides um, 
like both both uh, side both parties are at equal play, like they're at a level playing field. But here we could clearly see that Israel had the upper hand because they had more firepower, they had more resources, and um, were they were uh, Israel was on the offense here. Their actions were the ones that triggered these protests. And um, what it ha what was interesting is that the media tend to um, depict or had the tendency to depict Palestine as the one who was was on the offense when really Israel was on the offense and the Palestinians were just defending themselves um, from the violence that was being inflicted on them. So um, yeah, we could say that um, media has definitely played a huge role in in um, in uh, try to um, influence our 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 perception of what's going on, especially like through mainstream media. Um, Amal, I don't know if you've seen anything on social media that perhaps um, could like play a different role in this sense in and like bringing awareness and stuff. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's really really interesting to see how like differently the the whole situation is being depicted by the mainstream media versus social media because I feel like social media has played a huge role in like creating bringing awareness and creating an impact on what's actually going on and you can see like they show real life footage of you can see the like the 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 hurt and the difficulties and you can see the children who are being affected and through videos and pictures and tweets and everybody's talking about it and even though it's like quite graphic it captures our attention and their instagram accounts like let's talk palestine or eyes on palestine which they provide regular updates, resources, ways to help and spread awareness, which is something that the news, the mainstream media isn't doing as efficiently, as effectively because of all of the so much uh, politics. Involved. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Like you were saying how, yeah, yeah, essentially um, what you were saying about how when we see like the candid footage of people being like, like people being attacked with tear gas by Israeli police forces, it like it captures your attention and it's so graphic that like obviously we're it, it's mind blowing and we don't understand why the mainstream media isn't covering this. Like they're very much downplaying everything that was happening and honestly it's disappointing to see that the the majority of our information was coming through social media as opposed to the mainstream media. Yeah, but I think it's it. I think you can now see how much of an impact social media does have, especially with our generation because um, we can see that there has been an uproar of protests around the world. Um, thousands and thousands of people are coming together and rallying and showing their support, their solidarity with Palestine. Um, and especially like respecting the people who are, whose lives have been lost and who are struggling on a regular basis. And um, it just shows you how much of an impact social media has and how it can be used to spread information like like instantly um exactly but it's also like i feel like with social media you also have that added thing of knowing where the information came from and like doing your own research i feel like as individuals we do have that own we do have our own responsibility to take time and do research and find out more and rather than just posting something that everybody else is posting on their stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess you can say even as like as individuals living in like a cosmopolitan world, like we're global citizens at this point, we're constantly being 
um, brought aware to all these different matters that are happening happening around the world. So like by by being exposed to such information, we ourselves like become like we should we should own up to our like we should be responsible for like educating ourselves because like as we mentioned like with all of the context that you just provided Amal like I don't think this was something that was very much emphasized in like history class like um, or at least for me personally like I'd never learned about how serious the um, that what's been happening between Palestine and Israel, like all this historical context would be so useful and like would maybe like push people to like make a difference. And not just like us, but like government officials, like how, I don't understand how like the UN hasn't gotten like more involved in this or maybe they have and I just like, it hasn't been like um, brought up to like the media yet, but it's a shame that like, um, that the, you, ha you haven't been seeing like as men like, people taking like a, a strong stance like internationally to like say like stop like this needs to end like even how do you know that after the cease like just because the ceasefire happened that this won't happen again in a couple of years yeah. um yeah because it has yeah. been going on for ages it's been going on for mm -hmm. centuries um yeah exactly. and I feel like we because of the way that the the mainstream media also downplays it without the without social media people wouldn't have realized that it's like people are being forced out of their homes people are being like the homes that they have lived in for centuries they're being forced out of it it's basically like colonization it's basically like a form yeah. of um genocide. genocide people are being killed people like you see children i don't know i don't know sarah if you saw this one video of this literally it made me cry there was this video of this girl and she was talking about how she just wants to be a doctor so she can and you can see that she's like so like i saw that video she just wants to be a doctor because she wants to help her people and now she's a child and what can she do because she's just a child and she wants to help her people and it just like i don't know i feel like we don't realize what it must be like to be in that kind of a situation where you can see your house being taken away from you and you can see the people around you suffering and you're you're a child like you shouldn't have to live a life like that I don't know absolutely absolutely yeah and honestly I feel like it's also shown that um the media needs to take response like not responsibility but um they need to understand how much like power and influence they have over um, like how they write certain things in their articles. Like for example, the New York Times described this whole thing as a small like skirmish, like they're downplaying it so much and that can lead to like false perceptions about what's happening. And like, it's dangerous um, if they're not bringing awareness to such a serious issue, like people will start forgetting about everything that happened and like rewrite history as we know it. Like, yeah i know one of the things that um you mentioned sarah was that while we were doing our research like we had we talked about this before we started our podcast because we wanted to make sure that we were giving as much like the correct like as much right information as we could um and one of the things that sarah brought up that i thought was really interesting was that she talked about how like for like the use of vocabulary like for yeah. example israeli settlements in palestine are being called neighborhoods when they're like in reality they're yeah They're illegal colonies <laughs> yeah which and yeah. even like it's called a dispute when actually the land is being occupied it's being occupied. colonized like yeah 
And as soon as people hear illegal colonies or occupation, then they will understand the severity of this issue. But if you continue to call it, yeah, it's just a neighborhood being disputed over, oh, people are fine. Like, no, that's not what's happening. You're downplaying the issue and um, you're making it seem less serious than it really is. Like, let's call it what it is. It's a genocide. It's an occupation, ethnic cleansing. People are being, are, are being stripped of their human rights by being like they're, by telling them that they no longer have a place to live, the people, those six families in the Shejara, that six families could turn into 12 families and so on, you know? It, there's no telling that they will just stop here just because of the ceasefire that had happened, but yeah. yeah. And, and then when people talk about how the Hamas are re retaliating and like also sending missiles, but then it's not a form of offense, it's a form of defense. They're, fighting for their land. And I can guarantee that every single person would do the same thing. They would fight for the land because at the end of the day, this is your home. And if you don't have your own territory, then where do you belong? Absolutely. Yeah, everyone has a right to uh, like a place to live. Like that's just a basic human right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Amal, but I learned so much in this podcast. Yeah, me too. And I, and I, something that we also have done is we've compiled this, compiled a source of resources that you guys can, if you want to learn more, or if you want to see where we got our information from, you can always use these sources and um, click the link. Yeah, in our description box, we we included a few ways you could help. Um, so one of the main ways I feel like you can help is by listening and learning. Yeah, and keeping the conversation flowing because we've seen that by by these um, by these protests and these rallies and people coming together, it's actually making a difference. And it's by keeping the conversation going, like a change is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and something Amal had brought up actually while we were like planning out this podcast, um, she found um, a way that you could even take economic action as like an individual that might seem like daunting at first, but there are ways for you to take economic action, for example, boycotting brands um, that are um, essentially like um, supply like that that um, how is it like they provide uh, resources that help Israel sustain its the amount of like um, weapon weaponry and like surveillance technology like to Israel. So like by not by no longer support like giving your money to these corporations like boycotting those brands will um, you know it, it might it not it might not make a huge difference by taking action in this way. Um, your action can make can make more of a difference. Yeah, definitely. And um, another way that you can use like you can give donations and. Um, research on the rights, um, like you can research on the best way to donate in a way that will actually reach the people. Um, we I, we did do some research and we found a few um, a few places that you could donate donate to. For example, the medical aid for Palestinians or Action Aid. Um, but there, I'm sure that if you guys do your own research, then you can find um, a lot of other sites that you could donate to as well. Absolutely. And um, to add on to like the listening and learning and keeping the conversation going and like staying informed and like checking all the right, like check your sources, like check where you get your information. We highly recommend, like personally, I 
I like to stay informed on this subject by following Eyes on Palestine, as we mentioned before, on Instagram, and Let's Talk Palestine on Insta Instagram, because they provide a lot of like real-time footage and resources, etc. And I feel like these sorts of, of accounts also have um, like extension links in their in their bios for more ways that you can help. So taking action as an individual and like looking at these Instagram pages for more ways you can help, I think would be a would be a fantastic way to stay active and like not be complicit. Is that the word? Complicit. Right, not remain complicit as a global citizen. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so we hope that you guys learned something and we hope that, and also do let us know if we've gotten something wrong or if we haven't um, presented something in the right way because we are just also trying to learn and we're also trying to listen. Um, so let us know and we, but we hope that you did get some, you got something out of this, from out of this episode. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. Um, I know, again, that this wasn't one of our regular, like, jokey, jokey, fun time podcasts, but we felt it was also our responsibility to um, use whatever platform we could to um, share information that should be shared um, and, you know, keep the conversation going. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Right. Oh, wait, as always. Be safe. <laughs>